welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I am here with another album review, one of my favorites. This album has been a huge part of my life since, really since I can remember. I don't remember exactly when I got this. I know I had Golden Biscuits on 8-track tape. Pretty sure I found that at the Salvation Army on Gratiot Avenue for like 10 cents back in, uh, well, a long, long time ago. And at some point, this particular album came into my life, but I've always been a huge fan of Three Dog Night. Their harmonies are unmistakable. You know, one of the things that I love about doing my Uriah Heat podcast is that the band is so rich in vocals and harmonies from the beginning through the current time, um, 52 years they've been working at it. And their, their sound is very unique. It's changed over the years, but it's always been very unique to them. Same with Three Dog Night. They're another band that, I mean, basically they're really more known for their harmonies, I think, than anything else. They've certainly done a lot of songs. Um, most of them have been covers. I don't know a huge amount about their history. I'm not somebody who really digs into that with most most bands. Even with my Uriah Heat podcast, I only go so far into the history of things. Um, because really what I care about is the music itself, how it makes me feel, what it inspires in me, what it, uh, you know, manipulates maybe uh, me to feel in one direction or another. Maybe it'll inspire me to take an action or to start a project or call somebody I haven't talked to in a long time. You know, music has the power to do so many things. With this album, these 10 tracks, and they're so short, most of them, and this album just seems to be over almost before you put it on. It's that fast. Let's talk about the album artwork for a minute. Um, it is very simple. It is designed as if it is a portrait, like an oil-based painting. Um, but what's interesting is there's no actual frame. So you see the the line the white line around the picture, but they didn't, from what I can see in this copy that I have, uh, did not put in any actual frame. So that's kind of ironic. Um, <laughs> you, you'd think that they'd at least have like the wood around it or something like that. But at the top, just very simply, it says Three Dog Night, suitable for framing, two different colored fonts. One, The first uh, Three Dog Night one is a little bit darker yellow and it's bigger letters. And then suitable for framing is lighter and a little bit smaller letters. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a very simple cover. It's just got the three people on it. I'm assuming those are the three singers. But there are more people in the band than that. But the band was really featured for their vocals, right? So where are all the guys playing the instruments? How come they are not featured on the album cover? To me, if I were in the band, if it really was a band, you know, a whole band, then I would probably feel like I was not very important if I wasn't on the cover and three, uh, just the singers were. Um, if it was a band that was put together to back them in the studio and it worked and they did the album based on the three singers and then they said, all right, well, you know what, why don't we all go on tour together and it started to become a band later. I, I guess that would make more sense. Kind of like, you know, thinking about the way that the Wrecking Crew did things. They wrote the songs, they recorded them with the singer. If the song took off, that singer was was matched up with musicians and then they went out and performed. So it wasn't the Wrecking Crew that went out on tour. It was the Wrecking Crew that did the studio song, the thing that became the hit. And then a band was pieced together to go out and do the tour. So if it was like that, where the rest of these guys are studio musicians, I don't know. Um, I don't know anything about them. Um, yeah, I tried to look up a little bit on the net, but as usual, I get information that conflicts with other information. I'm like, you never know it's really true anymore unless you actually know already, then you don't need me to tell you. 
But again, I don't get too much into the history of things. What I mainly care about is the music, how it makes me feel, how it inspires me, that sort of thing. And I say we just get right into it. So the first song, um, I also know a version by Joe Cocker, which I don't get that inspired by. Uh, I think Joe Cocker is a great singer, but on this one, um, he just doesn't really do it for me. Now, to be fair to Joe, the first version I heard and the version I got to know very, very well before I heard any others was this version from Suitable for Framing by Three Dog Night. So I have that theory that the first version that you hear is most likely the one that you're going to like the most. It's the one that gets stuck in your head. It's the thing that you experience first. It's going to be hard for somebody to come around and top it. Now, there may be other versions that you like, but when you think of the song, like if somebody mentions the song's name, you're probably going to think about the version you heard first more likely than any other version, unless you just heard something else and have that immediate association. Uh, but Joe had a good version of it. You know, he, he has some good emotion, but what I really love is this version by Three Dog Night. So here it is, Feeling All Right. Seems I've got to have a change of scene. Every night I have the strangest dream. In prison, by the way, it should have been. Left here on my own, or so it seems. I've got to leave before I start to scream. Someone's locked the door. First of all, I love that organ sound right there. That is just such a classic rock organ sound. Um, really love the oscillation on it, too. It just it just has a real special, unique and magical sound to it. Um, but, you know, a, a couple of my favorite bands, you know, you look at Deep Purple or Emerson Lake and Palmer, heavy, heavy Hammond usage in their music. So it's not surprising. Um, but that that sounds a little bit different than what we're used to hearing with those bands. Uh, but let's talk about the overall sound of the song, because this is really about the whole album. Um, I, I The vocals obviously have a lot of reverb on them. Everything's very separated, but it works. Uh, maybe it works for me because this is just the way I've always known it from, you know, an, a fairly young age when I started getting into Three Dog Night. But it you could hear everything very clearly. And I think one of the reasons that it's mixed this way is because that's how things were done at the time, but also because music was very vocal back then, you know, you didn't have a lot of, you know, long instrumental sections, crazy solos. Bands like this were really geared towards getting music on the radio. And so the songs were short and very, very friendly to the radio community. So thinking about, you know, 69, when this came out, what was leading up to that Motown and all that stuff, um, you know, it really makes sense that, that the format would be like this. So vocals are very, very heavily reverbed. And uh, the space sounds really big because everything is kind of separated out so that the vocals can come through, which means normally that amount of reverb probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. But because the vocals really have their own isolated sound space, you hear it a lot more than you would if everything was blended together a little bit more like we started doing a little bit later. Even, you know, you look at, at uh, albums by, you know, Uriah Heep or Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, um, there was not as much room cut out for vocals. There was more room for the whole band as a whole unit. So it's like here again, we're the backing band to the vocalists. The vocalists are out front. They're in the middle. They've got all the space so that they can be focused on and the music is just there to support. So not a lot of long instrumental sections in most songs, that sort of thing. 
So that's really about the sound of the whole album. Um, and it works. I mean, the vocals are definitely out front, but the, the, it's not so unbalanced that it feels awkward. You know, it's not like the music is or the vocals are right in your face and the music is a half a mile away. I mean, it does have a good balance to it from a volume standpoint, but from a panning standpoint, it does feel a little bit weird at some spots. Now, if you listen to uh, bands like the Beatles and sometimes you just listen through one earbud, right? And you really get to hear the difference in what is in the left and what is in the right. Our brain tends to just blend everything together into one song which is easier with bands that recorded more in stereo than what we have here. So you hear things in very specific spots, leaving room for the vocals to come through. Uh, but I love the the emotion, even just in those few lines that we heard here in the sample, um, you really feel it. You feel like the guy's going through something and he's not sure what to do. He's He's just, you know, got all this stuff to deal with. And you, it really comes out, I think, in the vocal. But then the backing vocals come in. They're very... Um, they're not quite dry, but they're not real emotional either. And it's it, it's somewhere in between those two. And it kind of works as if they're observers just backing the guy up going, yep, we get you. It's, it's a really interesting thing, this song. Um, probably one of the songs I listened to the least on this album, only because I've heard it a lot. And it was never a huge favorite for me. But as I've gone back to some of these albums I haven't listened to in a while as I've been doing these these podcast episodes, I'm really finding a new appreciation for some songs that I've kind of, you know, thought had their day with me and just written them off, you know, and a song like this, it's actually a great album opener. It really has some good emotion in it. Even just the pitching that we heard in the in those first few lines, it's it's just a really, really well-performed song. And that's the thing is if you're going to be a vocal-based band, you got to make people feel the story. And that is one of Three Dog Night's specialties. It's not just the the great harmonies and the good singers. It's really making me feel like I'm there with you or that I believe that you're experiencing this. Um, that's so important if you're going to be a band of this type. And if you think about all the Motown bands and stuff, other than bands that were, I don't want to say dialing in choruses, but some of those choruses that would repeat and repeat, it's just kind of, they all sounded the same. There wasn't anything real special to them. But then there were those bands that would have the singer that would just kind of riff around that and just say whatever came to mind. And, and you would feel it with such passion because it was honestly just coming into their mind at the times. And that's the difference. You know, these guys have some choruses like this one. It almost sounds like it's dialed in, but you also feel it. You feel that support. So I don't know, to me, at least there's a difference between this band and a lot of bands that did this kind of stuff. So that brings us to our second song, which is the one I really wish I could save for last, because this is one of my all-time favorite songs. And I'll tell you a story about it here in just a minute. But first, let's check it out. Here is Lady Samantha.
when we first moved to Colorado, it was the first time that I had lived away from my childhood home. And it was pretty difficult to adjust. And I remember this was one of the albums that was like comfort food for me. I had um, a little Sony Walkman and I would take it with me to school. And in between classes, I would listen to, to music. You know, I didn't really know anybody. And that first month was pretty tough. And I remember this was one of the uh, albums. So I had joined, um, I had a, a film and television production class in Detroit. And the closest that they had to that when we moved to Colorado was a theater class. So uh, they matched me with that instead. And I didn't really want to be an actor. That wasn't my thing at all. I wanted to write and, you know, direct and stuff like that. So uh, they knew that I was a musician. And so, of course, that meant that they put me behind the light board because where else would you put a musician who doesn't want to act? The light board. Um, but it was really weird. It was up in this cage and it was very archaic. And the school wasn't that old, but it was like somebody from the 1700s donated this piece of equipment and they just stuck it up in this cage. Um, it was a really weird thing. But the nice thing about it was I got to figure it out for myself and I was kind of isolated for everybody else. So here I am, you know, I'm only going to be uh, in this grade for a month because we moved at, um, it was like the end of April and I started school May 1st and I think the last day of school was June 1st or something. Um, so I wasn't going to be in classes with these people for long. A lot of people that I met were graduating. So it was just a really like, let's just get through this and learn the lay of the land for next year kind of thing. And so I remember like they would, there would be these long interminable times of things where they didn't need lighting and I would just be up in the cage. So I would put on, you know, the earphones and stuff and just wait for a visual cue, somebody to wave at me or whatever. And I listened to this song and the wind one night was just howling. In fact, all the way home, um, you know, we had to go through this little canyon and the wind was just whipping through there. It was freezing cold out. And this is May. You know, I'm used to in Michigan, you know, May was getting pretty nice. And, you know, starting really in April, the winter's kind of winding down back in those days. I know it's all different now, but, um, you know, May was a, a pretty warm spring month, you know, and then of course, June would, would really be summer. And so it was weird for it to be May and it to just be so damn cold and so windy and, and everything. And I'm like, I don't know what this place is going to be like. Maybe the summer's going to suck and it's not going to be warm. And I just had no idea because all I heard about was Colorado was cold and snow and tumbleweeds, you know. But I remember specifically uh, listening to this song quite a bit that day. Uh, it would it would end and I would just rewind the cassette and go right back to where it started. I had a little counter on the... Um, on the Walkman, so I could rewind it right to the start of the song. It was really cool. Uh, believe it or not, that was a pre pretty big deal for 1988, I have to say. Uh, but yeah, so this song was was one that always gave me comfort. But from the first time I heard it, I just love the mood of it. I love the way the vocals sound together in the chorus. I hate how short it is. I mean, here I'm playing like a little over 30 second clip and we're already basically through the first chorus. That's crazy. So you know, it's, it's a, it's a way too short song to me, but yet it does have a lot of parts in it, which is cool. It's got, you know, some good changes that, that, you know, in, in such a short song, you wouldn't think there would be time to introduce so many new things, but they do a great job of it. And, and it's a wonderful, wonderful song, but the mood of it, I've, I've always loved the mood of it. It's, it's one of my favorites for sure. Um, not to digress from that in any way, you know, just because that's my favorite song on the album. Uh, I certainly enjoy all the songs on the album. And this next one is called Dreamin' Isn't Good For You. 
Now, I played a little bit longer of a clip here than I normally would have, and here's why. I wanted you guys to hear that little isolated vocal section with the oscillation on it. That just sounded so cool. And, you know, that's one thing about these guys is that even though most of their songs are cover songs, they always find cool things to throw in there to make it unique, to make the version their own, and to make it very special and recognizable as the brand and the band, Three Dog Night. And I love that about them. This is a good song. It's got some really solid vocals in it. And it goes to show, too, what a great backing band that we have here. This is definitely an example of just not needing to show off, but throwing little things in there that make it interesting and a really solid bunch of players. Um, it's a great song. One definitely worth checking out, especially at, you know, a whole two minutes and 18 seconds of your life that it's going to take to listen to this. Um, now our next song is one that has had many, many versions done. It's a very beautiful and passionate song. There's a good chance you already know it, whether it's by Three Dog Night or somebody else. This song is called A Change Is Gonna Come. Even in just this little clip, you can hear such an impassioned vocal, can't you? I mean, how do you not just like tense up when you hear those notes of how just powerful and passionate they are? I absolutely love it. And I just want to play you a little bit of uh, the song down the road a bit so you can hear just how passionate it really gets. It's so hard not to get caught up in a song that's that powerful, you know, and there's, you know, it, it, not everybody's going to feel what the singer's feeling or feel any emotion at all when they hear it. Everybody's different. Everybody will find the things that, you know what, this really doesn't do it for me, but this other thing does for me every single time I listen to this song. It's a great song to just get in the car, drive down the highway and and sing, you know, if you, if you feel the need to sing. Um very powerful one, definitely one of my favorites. So that is a change is going to come, and you know who else is coming is Eli. Here's Eli's coming. Eli's coming. Eli's Eli's 
It's interesting to have such a, a long intro when the song's under three minutes. It's two minutes and 45 seconds. And, you know, that's that's a lot of real estate in the song, but it's a good build. And I love the passion in that. I love just the the vocals, how intensely they feel. And then just coming right into the song and making it kind of rock and roll. Um, you know, the, the music on this album is not very difficult. It's just good. It's not technical. It doesn't have to be. It's just music that feels good to listen to. And if you ignore the vocals and just focus on the music, you'll find that it's it's not anything too special. It's just good performances of very simple, catchy little stuff. But that's all you need for an album like this. Um, you'll there's there's one song we'll get to where it is you know completely musical, but um, it's just really really good. It just has to to support the feelings. That's all, and it does a great job. The backing band is really solid on this. I have to say. Um, this is a good upbeat song, um, especially coming after uh, A Change Is Gonna Come, which is much sadder and slower. This is a good place to kind of revitalize the energy a little bit because we're going to get into a song that does not revitalize the energy. Um, it gets back into uh, a bit of the emotional and there's another one that is very, very well known. You might know it from the soundtrack to Hair, uh, but here is Three Dog Nights version and the version I heard first of easy to be hard. I love the statement that this song makes, and maybe it's just my interpretation of it. But for me, it's just how can people be so cold hearted when someone's in need? Right. You know, I, I how many times have your friends like you're always there for them? They're there for you as long as everything's good. And the one time you're having a bad day, it's like you just moved to a ghost town. You know, it happens. It, it does. I don't know if it's that people don't know what to say because they haven't seen you like that or it's not often and they just kind of feel awkward or they don't really want to get involved so they don't jump in and say anything. But I'll tell you what, you know, a lot of times even just to hear something like, hey, I hope everything's going to be okay or, you know, you're going to make it, you've been through worse, just some kind of encouragement would be nice. But so many people, they just they just disappear. You know, it's, it's funny, um, just a couple hours ago, I did a, an interview with uh, Judy Tenuta that came out last Saturday. And we were talking about this very thing. It's like when, you know, when she found out she had cancer and she told people like all of a sudden, a lot of people just were not there for her. And I've had that happen too. It's not very often that I have bad days. They do happen or something happens and I don't often talk about it, but every once in a while I'm, I might mention something in, in social media and it's amazing. Like you tell a joke or you post a funny pic and you'll get a hundred, 150 people just going, oh my God, you're so funny. And then the one time you say, you know, it's been kind of a tough day. Hope you guys are all doing well. And you'll get like five people going thumbs up, you know, and then maybe a couple of people will message you privately, which is always nice. But it's just amazing the difference. You know, it seems that our basic core of humanity, 
we should be there for people that we care about. Doesn't mean you have to do a whole lot. You don't have to give them money. You don't have to spend hours of time with them or whatever. Sometimes just giving people some kind of contact, communication, I feel you, something. And so that's, to me, what this song is about. Now, I had scheduled uh, to do this episode prior to talking to Judy. So it's just interesting how that uh, how that worked out. But we did talk about that. And, and I do find that fascinating because I've experienced that with obviously not with cancer, but with much lesser um, issues, you know, even just saying, man, I'm glad today's over. It was a tough one. And you think you think that crickets are your friends more than your friends. And like I said, you know, a, a couple people might post on that or say something. But a lot of times, you know, people may message you privately. I think you're more likely to hear from a couple people privately than they will publicly. It's it's just such a weird thing. And this song basically deals with that issue. Um, from a musical standpoint, I love this song. There are some really amazing organ swells. And if you're a fan of the Hammond organ, you, you probably love the organ swells. There, there's some good stuff in here. It's very powerful. Really makes, you know, it's it's like how I was talking about in other songs, how emotional the vocal is. And this is certainly one of them. Um, this is the musical side of that, the enhancement of the organ for the swell, bringing out that same emotion that the vocals do. And the combination of the two together, it's amazing, absolutely stunning. And uh, I'm, that was what first attracted me to the song was that. And then as I got to know the song a little bit more, then it became, you know, all the other components. But it was that swell that I was like, whoa, what just happened here? That was really cool. And it made me feel something. And I don't know what yet. So uh, highlight of the song. Again, that's one that's been done many times. I actually like the version from the movie Hair uh, from that soundtrack. But honestly, this one is the one for me. And again, I heard it first. But this one is the one for me that really just brings out, you know, maybe the need to uh, grab a tissue box and let a tear fly here and there, because it is very frustrating and very sad sometimes uh, the way that humanity can be. Um, That's just the way it is. So moving on from that, though, great song, absolutely great song. And I know that was a pretty successful one from them. Um, The next song is called Ain't That a Lot of Love. You know, it may seem a little cliche, and I've certainly written songs like this. There's just the, how many ways can I describe how massive your love is? You know, you you could fit it in the desert, maybe, if you're lucky. Uh, I'd climb the highest mountain. You know, all those things that are are so cliche now. But yet, when you think about the feeling of love and what it does to you and how immense it really is, it's hard not to think of the the you know most epic things that you can think of. You know, I'd climb the highest mountain, I'd swim the deepest sea. Of course, that one doesn't really make sense because if you swim the deepest sea, you're still on the surface. So that isn't actually as, as endearing as climbing the highest mountain because that's some work. Swimming the deepest sea, you're still swimming across. So it could be four feet deep or as deep as the Mariana Trench, you're still on the top. 
So think about what you're saying. However, um, you know, and I, and I still love songs like that. You know, there, there are some that are just, there's, they're just such great songs that I, I really kind of bypass the lyrics. In fact, I said before, I'm not really a lyric guy that much anyway. I've written my songs with lyrics. I like it better when it, when I'm telling a, a whole story on like a concept album. But uh, for, for the most part, the words to me are sounds like an instrument. I don't necessarily care what the story is. It's how does the sound of this instrument, how does it make me feel? What does it make me feel? How does it make me want to progress forward? You know? Do I feel angry? Do I feel inspired? Do I feel in love? Do I feel melancholy? You know, do I want to cry? Do I want to jump up and and scream how great the world is? That's really what it is more for me than whatever the story is. If the story is told right from a vocal perspective, you're going to feel the story anyway. You know, for the most part, you don't necessarily have to know the uh, intricate details of whatever it is. If it's boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl, you're going to get that anyway. But, you know, even for other, you know, story type songs, think about um, The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, whether you're listening to Vicki Lawrence's version or Reba McIntyre's. Now, I grew up with Vicki Lawrence's version, but as soon as I heard Reba's, I was like, who is Vicki Lawrence? This that version is just it's chilling every time I hear it. A shiver goes up my spine with the way Reba sings it in that production. Um, But that's just it. I don't need to know exactly what's going on. Her vocals guide me how to feel. Just like the way that a film soundtrack does not tell the story of the movie, it gives you the emotional side. It It enhances whatever the director wants you to feel by watching the film. It gives you that other component. You're hit twice. You're getting the visual and you're getting the audio of that emotion. So I really look at vocals most of the time more like that. You know, there's some fun songs like, uh, you know, uh, bands that are comedy bands or whatever. Ian Gillen's No Laughing in Heaven, you know, songs that are designed to be comedic songs. Yeah, you could feel lighthearted, but those you're really going to want to pay attention to the lyrics because the song is really designed around that. And you're not necessarily going to get a comedic story through the music. You might say, oh, okay, I feel good. Or I feel there was a tragedy in here somewhere. uh, And that's okay. But if you want the full effect on songs like that, I would I would focus on the words myself. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, a really fun song and it's got some great vocals in it. There's a lot of fun little drum parts in there in the verses that are interesting and, you know, some, some killer organ playing and great guitars. It's it's a really good song. Very worth listening to. Uh, now we get into the strange and the one song that I only think fits on the album because I'm used to it being on the album. I'm not really sure how this fits in with the rest of the songs that are all about emotion and situations and intensity. Uh, This is called King Solomon's Minds. Now, I enjoy it, especially as a drummer, but I think it's maybe got a bit of a limited audience. I think that obviously drummers would be interested in hearing it. Percussionists would be maybe some other people that just enjoy listening to drums, but it's really kind of a limited market for this song, right? So whereas all the other songs, I think, are relatable on a very general level to most people on the planet, 
this one's a little bit more specific. It's it's weird. It's kind of towards the end of the album. And um, I don't know. I, I like it as a song, you know, just by itself. But I'm not really sure how well it fits in to the album on the whole. But at the end of the day, it's on the album. So it doesn't really matter what I, what I think because they put it there and it's going to be there until the end of time and beyond. So, uh, but a good song for percussion is there's a little bit of uh, voices and stuff and they're not singing, but just kind of, uh, you know, talking. It sounds like uh, maybe, um, you know, a little bit ethnic. Can't really tell what the language is or anything, but um, yeah, it's it's an interesting little percussive adventure, I would say. Um, but that brings us to another uh, really fun one, Circle for a Landing. Great Hammond organ, fun drums on this one. There's a lot of little subtleties in there in the drums and, uh, you know, obviously stunning vocal, great bass line. It's just a, a fun song. You know, it's it's one of the ones that you can, again, just get in the car and just, you know, let loose and sing it. Even if you're just singing the chorus, it's just a lot of fun and a great, uh, a great pick me up after, you know, King Solomon's Minds to, to kind of just get back to, wait a minute, here's what the album is about. Not these crazy percussion solos. Um, but it's a, it's definitely a good song. And, uh, and, and one I think has a great point. It's like, check your ego, bro. That's all you gotta do. Um, that brings us already to our final song on the album. This one is called celebrate. There are a lot of songs like this out there. And whenever I see, uh, whenever I see the word celebrate, I think about the song celebration. Um, can't remember who that was, if that was cool in the gang or not. But um, I remember that there was a commercial in Detroit where they showed, showed uh, the nut fountain. Now, the, the wing nut fountain was, um, I don't know if it's still there or not, but it was a fountain near the Detroit River. It was designed, the, the design around the fountain, or I should say above the fountain, was a wing nut because, of course, Detroit's the motor city. So, you know, car part or, or mechanical thing kind of made sense. And uh, anyway, I, I just remember there being like a big uh, like a dance thing and people were dancing in the water and all this when, uh, when they did the song celebration. And so this is another song like that. It's just about, you know, everybody just get together, put your troubles aside. Let's just get into the music and dance and be together and have lighthearted good times. Let's have great things to look back on. And, um, I think this song really sums it up. Well, you know, that song does it's almost like we are family too. that, that sort of unity. Although we are family is really more geared towards just like a general, um, togetherness, not necessarily like family, like blood, but just people that are, we're all together. We're all family. Um, this one is just more about celebrating, but has that same sort of unity behind it. Um, it's a really cool song. And here is a little bit of celebrate. Slipping away. Yeah, 
Well, it is a little bit of a Cinderella story at the beginning, but it does get into the celebration part, I assure you. It's uh, it's really powerful, too. Just the whole band, you know, singing together and the strength of the music supporting it. It's it's a really powerful, powerful song. Um, but I just remembered something about uh, the other song, Celebration. Uh, not that the podcast is about that, but just as, as a, a memory um, I was watching a two-part episode that was just airing that night for the first time on, on WKRP where they uh, Johnny and Venus had to go out to a transmitter because there was a bomb threat at the station. And I remember, um, I don't think they, pl- I can't remember if they played it on the show or if I heard it on the radio while we were listening for the weather report, um, but the song Celebrate uh, Celebration came on. And so I remember it was shortly after that we headed down into the basement because we we are uh, we went from tornado watch to tornado warning. The sky got very dark all of a sudden, you know, that that pea soup green. And we headed down into the basement to wait under the stairs where we were more concerned about spiders than tornadoes to wait and see if we were still going to have a house or not. And so uh, that's one of the things that I, I associate that with is is uh, that song Celebration, but also with WKRP. And oddly enough, there was a different episode of, of WKRP that was about a tornado, but it wasn't the one that I heard a song that reminded me of that. So anyway, it's like a, a whole big thing. But um, but yeah, this is a good song. It's a it, the whole album just ends on that really good note of, you know, we've talked about this, we've talked about that. But at the end of the day, let's just put all our problems aside. Let's just celebrate together. Be one. Enjoy. Live a happy life, because that's what it's all about. And I think it's a fantastic message for the album. I think it's a great song to end on because that's what you walk away with. So that is Suitable for Framing by Three Dog Night. I hope that you guys, if you're not already familiar with this album, I hope that you found some things in here that you like. I hope that you'll check the whole album out and, um, you know, maybe you'll like it enough to buy it. Who knows? Links are in the show notes for iTunes and Amazon. I did not see, uh, and I was going to get, um, I was going to see if there was a remastered version. And if so, I was going to get it. And then I decided if there is a remastered version, I'm not going to get it. Because part of the charm of this album for me is the tone of the album. And sometimes when they remaster it, they clean up the, the EQ and it just doesn't have the same characteristics. And, you know, I'm all about hearing things better and better sonic quality and that. But there are some things in our lives that I think are just just right the way they are. And part of the character of this album is the sound from 1969, the extra reverb on the vocals, the separation in the instruments, just the overall tone of the album. I honestly think that the EQ is just right. It's not sharp. It has just a little bit of a mellow overtone to it. Um, there's a you know, there's that amount of tape hiss in there that just makes it feel like it's from that time. And I, I think there's some things that when they clean them up, they're just too clean and perfect. And for me, so much of that atmosphere is part of this album, just as much as another member of the band. So I'm, you know, I'm glad that I didn't see a remastered version. There may be some something someday. I'm kind of surprised there isn't one already, to be honest. Maybe there isn't. I just didn't see it. But in any case, the links for the regular album on Amazon and iTunes are uh, are in the show notes. Check it out, guys. And they've got some other good stuff, too. So uh, they're a great band. Check them out. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll be back next week with another episode. Cheers. Cheers.